0: Quick disclaimer, the Airway Circle Radio podcast has been produced for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. All of the content, views, and opinions shared by our hosts and guests should not be a substitute for medical advice. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Welcome to Airway Circle Radio, a podcast dedicated to conversations related to airway health, early intervention, sleep, breathing disorders, and practice management. Our series will showcase a few of my colleagues in what is sure to be insightful, thought-provoking, and engaging discussions. My name is Renata Nami, and I'm a registered dental hygienist, certified orofacial myologist, and the founder of Airway Circle, an online resource center for airway professionals. I'm excited to introduce this educational format that has something of interest for everyone. Thanks for tuning in, and don't forget to subscribe.
1: Ta-da! Happy Thursday night live. Hey, Allison, how are you doing? Welcome, everybody. We are live with a very special guest. Dr. Calvin is here with us. We've spoken before on Instagram. So I invited him to come chat with us on our Zoom, Area Circle Lives, just because he is so knowledgeable and I know that he's going to be fantastic. I'm going to introduce our speaker before we keep going Dr. Calvin Ng. Is natural, a natural healthcare practitioner trained in chiropractic medicine who treats the body as a whole. He believes that all health dysfunction have an underlying imbalance physically, biochemically, and emotionally. And by treating the root cause, the body will heal itself. Dr. Ng's comprehensive approach helps restore normal physiology, strengthens the body, and allows the systems of the body to function in harmony. His mission is to educate others about the endless possibilities of holistic healing. The topic today is the benefits of cranial adjustment. Welcome to a Circle.
2: Hey, thank you. I'm excited.
1: Uh, I do have some questions. Do you mind if I ask you some questions?
2: Yeah, questions are great.
1: Perfect. So the first one that we have, Anne, is our editor and she puts these questions together for us. Are there different types of craniopathy?
2: Yes. And that's what I wanted to get into, because I think a lot of people are hearing about cranial therapy or cranial sacral therapy or cranial manipulation or cranial adjustments. I was trained in one form of it, so I can't speak on every other form, but there are multiple forms of it. Traditionally, I think that most people understand what cranial sacral therapy is, Mm
1: -hmm. which
2: is a technique that was developed by Dr. Upledger, and he was an osteopath. Now, the history is kind of like all mixed up a little bit, but then there was also another osteopath. His name was William Sutherland. He created cranial osteopathy, which is something that a chiropractor and osteopath learned from, Then they were friends. His name is Dr. Major D. who invented sacro technique. So there's all these terms. I get it. It's a little confusing. Essentially, we're all kind of looking at the same thing, which Mm -hmm. is how the skull bone relates to the nervous system and how that relates to people's ailments and dysfunctions. And for us specifically here, airway dysfunction.
1: A lot of people ask us, but what is the difference exactly of cranial sacral and cranial osteopath work?
2: Yes. Cranial sacral is something that a lot of like massage therapists would learn about. Really, any practitioner can learn how to do it when you go through a certification. But I would say cranial sacral therapy is a lot more like a gentle technique. Mm -hmm. It's really facilitating CSF flow, cerebral spinal fluid. And you want this flow to be going on. This is the fluid that's housing your brain, that's protecting your spinal cord. So very important there. So you want this flow to be adequate, flowing in its natural rhythm. And there is a natural rhythm in the technique that I follow. It's called primary respiration rhythm. You want this natural rhythm to be happening. Unfortunately, in our society, like from stress, from trauma, from birth trauma, airway dysfunction, processed food, I mean, the list goes on and on. We can have a dysfunctional pattern, and this can eventually lead to issues later on down the line. Going back to cranial sacral therapy, the goal is really to affect the CSF, okay. affect the flow of this fluid, and then also affect how the neurology is being expressed in the body. From a cranial osteopathy standpoint, we're more so looking at the bones are the bones misaligned? Are they in a position of distress? There's about 22 cranial bones in the body and they're all moving. They just don't move a lot. Everybody understands that if you pull on your finger, you can hear a little pop and you can feel your bones moving. That's moving a lot. But in your cranial bones, you don't move that much. And there's typically no pops and things like that because they're held together by these sutures. And these sutures are really just connective tissue. Anyways, these cranial bones that are in our skull are molded together and they look like a jigsaw puzzle or like tectonic plates. And they all have different lines and shapes and it's all really cool. But if one is malpositioned or if they're not Mm -hmm. in the right place and the other one is not in the right place, this can create tension everywhere else. Our goal as craniopaths People who adjust the cranial bones is to try to get the bones to be in the right place, as well as also affect the CSF flow, so that everything can just return back to its normal happy place.
1: Is there an instance where I'm going to recommend a patient to have craniosacral therapy instead of cranial osteopathy? And I'm assuming that most patients probably will benefit from both, but we see a lot of patients for example that are getting their tongue tie release based on your experience can you tell which one maybe would be more beneficial or maybe palatal expansion
2: <laughs> yeah i think that both are going to be beneficial i like either way so just go to one of them really okay and i think really the approach is a little bit differently to be honest with you i don't know if we all fully know If we have that clear difference yet for now, but still in the works, what I can tell you that we're all sort of looking at the same thing. It's just a little bit of a different approach. When I talk to people who do cranial sacral therapy, we're talking very similar languages. Like we can get along very well. We understand each other, except our approaches are a little bit different. Meaning that I might spend five to 10 minutes with somebody and be able to effectively adjust their cranial bones and get them back into a normal rhythm versus in cranial sacral therapy, it might take a lot longer. Maybe it's a whole like session for a massage therapist. It might take 30 mm-hmm. minutes, it mm-hmm. might take like an hour, but what they're affecting is a little bit different. They're maybe looking at the entire body or they're trying to get the body to relax and go into that parasympathetic or rest and digest state, which we know that for a lot of babies who are really tied up, who are in sympathetic stress, who have a lot of fascial tension, that Mm -hmm. cranial sacral therapy is phenomenal because it eases the body. It's almost like a melting effect on the body versus for me, when I adjust patients, I'm more so looking at a neurological component, meaning that If I see that there's any kind of neurological dysfunction, whether it's abnormal reflexes Mm -hmm. or cranial nerve dysfunction, like some cranial nerves are not firing, if there's any fascial tension that I see in the rest of the body, meaning like I'm checking their legs, I'm checking their pelvis, I see that there's any type of dysfunction in the other parts of the body, I'm going to challenge. I'm going to see if adjusting the cranial bones or moving cranial bones in a certain way could potentially alleviate that nervous system expression. What I mean by nervous system expression is this. To put it in a simple way, everybody kind of understands that tightness, like tight muscles. Oh, you got to stretch. You got to do this. You don't have mobility here or your hamstrings are really tight. You can't do the splits. I've spoken to a lot of chiropractors who do manipulation under anesthesia. Basically, they do like adjustments when somebody's like under anesthesia. And the reason why they do that is because that person may be like too tight. They might be too reactive. They might be in pain. When the people go under anesthesia, the chiropractors would tell me that they are like butter, like they're loosey-goosey. You turn this really tight person to this like flexible like gymnast. It's interesting because the nervous system has that full control over our fascia, over our muscles, basically how we express ourselves. Like if we're expressing ourselves as a really tight person physically, then, you know, we're not going to have a lot of mobility. I check that on the body and then I challenge the nervous system. You know, I'm poking them, going in people's mouths and challenging different things and pushing on the head. And when I do that, I'm expecting that there's a nervous system response that comes from, that. So I go back to that area and see, hey, did that actually improve range of motion? Most likely I'm Mm -hmm. checking range of motion. Hey, if they're able to do the splits after what we're doing, then great. If we're able to increase neurological inhibition or even facilitation, basically that just means if muscles are firing the right way, then I know that I'm doing the right thing. I think as a cranial osteopathy, it's more so evolving into more of a neurological treatment versus cranial sacral therapy is focusing more on the fascia, the movement of CSF, and also working with the musculoskeletal system in that way.
1: That is a vast explanation I have heard this far. Thank you so much. (laughs) I have a patient right now that's super emotional where, I mean, just Turning the camera on makes him just lose completely. And I've been telling the mom for a while, I don't think it's malfunctional therapy. We need to address something else right now. We had a chiropractor from Australia once come talk to us, Dr. Carrie Rigoni, and she talked a little bit about the vagus nerve. For those kids that are super sensitive to anything, any changes, anything that we ask them to do, they are just have insane meltdowns is there something specific that you do that you recommend
2: yeah i see a lot of people with vagus nerve dysfunction Um, Mm -hmm. in classic functional neurology essentially the treatment is like the test how you would test for a vagus nerve is like you would have them gargle you would have them say la 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 you would have them move their mouth and Essentially that would be the treatment too. You can have them do gargling exercises for like a minute or two every single day or more or you would have them teach them and coach them through different things that they can say. It sounds all ridiculous, different sounds and stuff like that just to trigger the tongue to move in different ways. That would be a method that people can do. And I actually tell a lot of people to gargle because a lot of people are in whether they're adults or kids. People are stuck in this fight or flight sympathetic state. And when you stimulate the vagal nerve, you actually start stimulating that parasympathetic, that rest and digest. So it can be really powerful. Some of the things that I do like clinically when I see a patients is we do something called quantum neurology. We utilize light or like a laser, and I have it dialed in on a very specific frequency because we understand that light is just a signal to the body. If we can manipulate the frequency, which is manipulating the light, light wavelengths are just different frequencies. Like we have violet, that's one frequency, and then we have blue, and then we have red, and we have orange. These are just different wavelengths or different frequencies. When we manipulate that frequency, we can actually see changes in the nervous system. So I can dial in on a laser, like on a nerve rehab protocol, and that way it's like shining light into the brain. And the light's like, oh, it's bright in here. Like, what's going on? Like, I should pay attention. Now we're forcing the brain and the nervous system to pay attention to what's happening to realize where it's dysfunctional. If we're doing like a nerve rehab on a vagus nerve, I might have that patient go like, ah, la, 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 curl their feet, fire to pelvic floor because the vagus nerve goes all the way down, fire all these parts of the body as they're doing that. And then we're using the laser to correct that at the same time, if there's any other types of things that are going on, maybe a cranial misalignment, maybe like I might want to do stimulation on the palate, or if I'm doing fascial work, I might do that too. And that's what's called neuro stacking, just like how we can do like an athlete can perform multiple tasks at once, process information, dribble the ball while getting hit. All these are different neurological signals to the body. This is what real life is like. And for a lot of us, sometimes like what you said, for that patient, for that kid who sits there and it's like, everything's really sensitive. Mm-hmm. That tells me that their neurostacking ability is really poor. Mm-hmm. They can't handle more than one level of function. If I will stimulate them here, it's already creating too much of a threshold. And it's sending them way over and it's too overwhelming. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help the nervous system realize how to actually bring that threshold higher, which means that I'm trying to create a more adaptive nervous system so that it's not overwhelmed so easily with just like one task or two tasks. It's like, how do we move to like, okay, multitasking in many, many different ways and processing different information. Because we're always processing information, you're looking at the light right now, your body's asking the TMJ, like where it is in space, it's asking the upper cervical where it is in space, it's asking the pelvis where it is in space. It's understanding temperature, it's understanding light, it's understanding sound, like all these different senses. And then there's feedback mechanisms. And there's this whole like harmonious ecosystem that's going on. And the problem is that when people are in this overwhelmed fight or flight state, there is no capacity. And that's when kids, for kids, they'll come in and everything's just overwhelming. I've had kids where they come in and I can't even adjust them really because their nervous Mm -hmm. system is already overloaded. And this is where I kind of use cranial dental integration which is essentially a, like help referring them out to either a dentist. And usually if they're like a dentist who understands airway, they have a myofunctional therapist who's also helping them. And I go like, you guys need to go see them because there might be something structurally that's going on mm-hmm. that we really need to tackle. It's this whole like picture.
1: That's very interesting. Elena is asking, is that like the brain tap headset thing?
2: Brain tap, I like to tell people's. Almost like a hypnotherapy kind of thing with like guided meditation all in once. But brain tap is essentially trying to fire certain brain waves. Like you got this thing that's in front of your eyes and it's flashing lights while you're listening to almost like a meditation, but it's in like many different layers. It's really trippy, but it's cool because it's accessing parts of your brain that you normally can't logically or consciously access. It's almost like a subconscious reprogramming in a way. I don't know if that's the same thing though, but that is a therapy that we do.
1: Oh, awesome. Uh, Kimi is asking, if someone is doing MARPI or orthodontic expansion. what is your take on protocols or recommendations for supportive manual manipulation to help guide their expansion to be symmetrical? That's a great question. Do you find the cranial strains or other restrictions would impact their ability to expand symmetrically. Thank you, Kim. yes,
2: yeah. Guys, Great keep your cameras question. off, please. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things that I think the benefits of people undergoing cranial therapy or getting their cranial bones adjusted or even doing cranial sacral therapy is that it doesn't replace expansion and doesn't replace friend like me, it doesn't replace any of those, but it's a supportive therapy to allow your nervous system to balance, which means that you're also allowing the musculoskeletal system to balance and then allowing the fascia to balance. Because there's people who will go, okay, I'm doing my own functional therapy. And I'm about to like do expansion. And we're doing all this work. But there's a hiccup because they're doing myofunctional therapy or they're doing their exercises and they're noticing like asymmetries. Their shoulder might be raising up on one side, they're compensating a lot, their tongue fascia is tight on one side. And one of the dentists that I work with, they're always like, Oh, yeah, you know, one side over here or here, she'll explain to me like what she sees and like where the fascial restrictions, and why she can't go and do a release of the tongue or something like that. And then I would go and correlate that with some of my neurological findings. And then I would go, oh, okay, I see a pattern here. I think this is what's really going on. It's really coming from like the pelvis or it's really Mm -hmm. coming from like their diaphragm or it's really coming from like these nerves that are not firing correctly. And if we correct these nerves, because as human beings, Why we have these asymmetries and these imbalances is because it's relation to gravity. It's how we respond with the influence of gravity and how we're normally supposed to be as upright bipeds is that when we're standing on our feet, we have this natural balance. But if you're standing on your feet and let's just say like on your right foot, You got many bones in there, many little bones called tarsal bones. If one of your bone is dropped or not in the right place, or you maybe had a prior injury there, or maybe a muscle's not firing and it's affecting one of the bones in there, it's not supporting that bone. And you have something called a flat feet dropped arch. Now, all on that one side, you have a cascade of dysfunction, or you can have a cascade of distortion. Your body has to fully compensate just for that one little bone. It's about finding the root cause of like why that bone is like that in the first place. Is it a muscle thing? Is it a nerve thing? Is it a fascial thing? Is it a prior injury? What's going on here? Were you born like that? Did you actually need like corrective devices like an orthotic? It's kind of Mm -hmm. thinking in this global way. And that's sort of my job in this whole picture is Dentists are focused like here, kind of like in the mouth, they're not trained to look at the musculoskeletal system, they're trained to look like, okay, I'm an expert here. And then my therapist is like, okay, I understand everything. And I'm really good at the exercise. I'm really good at coaching. I'm really good at walking through parents and kids into their therapy. And then for me as the Cairo, as the body worker, my job is to like, go, well, okay, great. You guys got all that covered. What else is going on in the body? How else are we going to support this person in their care? I hope that answers the question.
1: Yes, a hundred percent. I'm going to go see somebody on the 15th of January. And I don't really know what's her profession (laughs) to tell you the truth, but she's Specifically, going to look at my cranial strains because everything is kind of like out of place. And with the Marpy, I've noticed that my eyesight is worse, and a couple other people have told me that. Also, I'm not sure what you're feeling, Elena. Jennifer also told me uh, Sullivan that her eyesight is not great, and it's because the sphenoid, I guess, is not in the right place, and it's just affecting everything. I noticed when I was just doing a real. Not a real, but some stories on my Instagram that I looked at myself and I was like, oh my gosh, I look so cross-eyed. Things just look different to me. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if my eyes are more far apart or what is it that it just looks weird, but everything is moving. When I was already was asymmetrical, obviously, and whenever you start expanding mechanically like that, of course, it's going to become more asymmetrical. I wonder what she's going to do. I'm going to try to record. I'm going to ask her if she minds if I share what she's doing, but I'm sure there are some adjustments or something. I am excited to see what she's going to (laughs) do.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that's the benefits of really like cranial adjusting is, okay, we're affecting things physically through like an expander. Mm -hmm. And the body's like, I got no choice but to adapt to this. And there's something there. Now, Even though you're doing a palate experiment, which is the maxilla, but everything is related, everything's all connected. Connected. So, you affect one thing, it's going to affect everything else. You're probably right about the sphenoid because the sphenoid's right here and it's right in the middle. It's often sort of like the access to everything, access like in geometry, and it's in the middle. So, whether you manipulate one bone over here or the other bone, sphenoid is very sensitive to all those movements. Usually it's the number one bone that all the cranial paths look at is the sphenoid. It's interesting because when I think about the eyes, I think about number one, how we use it obviously to know our position in relationship to where we are. The controls of our eyesight, whether it's nearsightedness, sightedness, the control for that is through these muscles. These muscles, intra-eye muscles are controlling that. And that's all governed by those cranial nerves. And when I think about those cranial nerves that go all the way back, I go, wow, going back to the midbrain, going back to the occipital lobe, it's like, is your expansion creating abnormal tension in those areas that really need to be addressed, that need to be facilitated? Maybe there's not underlying, but it's creating a new type of fascial distortion that your body's really not used to, and your eyes are not keeping up with that because it's always so used to it. And if you wear corrective lenses, we know that the thing with corrective lenses is that it takes away from that neuromuscular like exercise of having to focus. That's why you go to an optometrist and it's like you go in one year and it's this, you go in the next year, it's a little bit worse, and in the next year, it's a little bit worse, and it just keeps going. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, What's really going on here is that when we put on our glasses, these corrective lenses, we take the work away from the body. We have these high-tech devices, but then really a low-tech body. And now we don't have that neuromuscular connection. It's like your muscles are kind of weak, essentially. And now when you're forcing your body into that adaptation, it doesn't really actually know how to adapt. It's behind. You're putting like a weakling into like a Spartan race, essentially.
1: I love that. And I'm gonna have to share something with you guys. With the comment that Allison said, she said, Oh, get the nasal release technique, Renata. My sight has improved after doing that. I did it once with Dr. Martha Cortez, whenever we were in New York, she did one and I could it was interesting because it was the first time ever that I felt like I could breathe way deeper, yeah. way deeper. But of course, afterwards I relapsed and lost the benefits. Now with the Marpi, since I was expanding Cindy, when I saw her in Orlando, she didn't feel comfortable doing it since I was expanding. I may have a little bit of a bleeding disorder, so everybody's super cautious when they do the nasal release, if they're going to do it on me or not. Have you noticed any of your patients having any changes to their eyesight after a nasal release technique? And I'll share you something about that in a little bit later.
2: Yeah when you mean nasal release, you're talking about like the balloon. The, the balloon. balloon. Yeah. Yeah. That's gotten kind of quite popular nowadays. It's so interesting. <laughs> I've
1: seen you doing it.
2: Uh, yeah. The craniofacial release. Or I think there's different names for it. Craniofacial release. There's an old school name called like bilateral endonasal or whatever. But anyways, essentially the nasal release is you take a balloon, put it up the nose and it's kind of right in the middle, but it's pretty like aggressive. It's like a lot of <sighs> pressure. It's not supposed to hurt, but it is like a lot of pressure and it's uncomfortable. But essentially what you're doing is you're affecting the sphenoid. You're trying to adjust the sphenoid. I would say it's one of those things where I do many different types of cranial adjustments, but that one's the one where you're kind of going like, it's like you look at your computer and you're like, I don't know what's going on. I'm just going to hit it a couple
1: times.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to hit it a couple times and it works. I think of that adjustment like that. but. I'm probably not selling it very well, but... Several of
1: us have had it done here. We love it.
2: That's amazing. Yeah, Yeah, but people breathe better. Like people sleep apnea kind of like not completely goes away, but they breathe a whole lot better where Mm -hmm. they're not snoring. Mental clarity is good. I have a lot of patients who... I've gotten it done because they just have like chronic brain fog and we're like, can't figure it out. And finally, I'm like, you just need like
1: to, hypoxia. Yeah,
2: exactly. Lack of oxygen. So mm-hmm. I think absolutely, because you're affecting right where the belly of the beast is and where your eyeballs are being held is right behind it is the sphenoid bone. The nasal release is going after the sphenoid.
1: That's what Allison is saying. Five of the six muscles that move our eyes and the muscles that close our eyes attach into the. Is this correct? Annulus of Zin that attaches into the sphenoid. Did I say that right?
2: Yeah, it goes through it. Yeah.
1: Daily exercises will help improve your stand movement. Is this correct? What I'm reading?
2: She's probably talking about the movement of the sphenoid. Mm. Movement of the sphenoid. Yeah. I mean, if you're moving your eyeballs around, like, absolutely.
1: Anne is saying everyone has some degree of asymmetry. So how could you determine which individual is appropriate for referral for cranial osteopathy or any type of whole body manual treatment. Yeah,
2: the techniques right now, at least the one that I'm trained in is called SOT sacrooccipital technique and they have a pretty good program to move like students or even practitioners through learning like their basic program and then going into a more extensive advanced cranial program as well and then people can get certified in it as well too. That's one way they can do like osteopathy. I do agree that everybody will have some sort of asymmetry in a way, but we have to question whether that asymmetry is like, like, is that normal? Sometimes you don't know. If I was to look at a face, I would say, okay, like I'm looking at things from a mechanical view, but from a positional view, well, same way how like a chiropractor shoots an x-ray and she's so he's mm-hmm. like, Oh, your bones here, your bones here, like you look a little off. I kind of go like, well, is your bones being off asymmetrical? Like, is that actually functionally wrong? Mm-hmm. Or is it correct? Because there's some people who would go, we, we make them all straight looking, and they don't do so well. Why is that? There's many more layers. And that's why I like the neurology component or the functional neurology component to it. Like when I do muscle testing or when I challenge the body or I test the cranial nerves, I get to see like function. You know, if I see like the eyes dropping down or the frontal bone is all dropped and then like mm-hmm. the sphenoids all compressed on one side, I'm like, let me try and open things up and then create some space and lift up that frontal bone on one side. If I do that, Does that actually create a positive change in your neurology where, let's just say, like a leg muscle or like a hip flexor or your abdominal muscles are firing? A lot of people who have like low back pain or pelvic dysfunction, for a lot of females out there that just gave birth and go through a whole pelvic dysfunction thing, one of the things is that the cranial bone right here, the parietal bones come together, makes a sagittal suture. And there could be a jamming effect of these two bones. And this jamming effect actually shuts off neurologically a lot of the center muscles, specifically like your core. I can test all the abdominal muscles. There's 10 different tests for all the different abdominal muscles. I can test those abdominal muscles. And if they're weak or not firing correctly, and let's just say like I go and I manipulate this suture and I move those bones. Will I actually see this muscle fire better? And if it does, I know that that's the right treatment. If it's not firing, then I got to look for something else. That's one way of really going about it.
1: That is so cool. Yes, everybody loves sacro technique. I have something to share with you guys. So this last week, I went to Brazil to learn how to do emotional release on people. Mm -hmm. So I had it done on myself seven different times. It was extremely intense. Everybody's probably noticing that I'm like quiet. I haven't been talking to anybody. I'm still processing and absorbing everything that I went through. But one of these techniques was done by a physician who, guys, I cannot wait to have him on here. He doesn't speak English very well, but I'll translate as much as I can. He's one of the most genius doctors I have ever heard in my whole life. And he's all in line with whatever we believe in trying to find the root cause of things and trying to dig. I mean, this guy studies mitochondria. Like he was telling mm. me all these things and my mind was just blown. I wish I could have recorded it. But- mitochondria. My gosh, it was so cool. But whenever they do the nasal balloon technique, I'm not sure if you do this in the beginning where you have somebody look in all these different places and see have the people do the eyes or they look up here and then they look over there. At least Cynthia Stein, whenever she did, the balloon technique on people, she would ask them to look in all these different places and let her know where she found the most strain.
2: Oh, like where it's most difficult for them? Exactly.
1: So you stand up straight and then you just look way up here, way down here, way up here, way down here. And it's funny because I'm doing it now and I'm not feeling anything at all. When I did it with Cynthia, probably a year and a half ago, two years ago, however long that was, I had strain everywhere. Everywhere was difficult. Of course, a lot has changed in my life. But this doctor showed me and did on me an emotional release technique that he uses the eyesight because he said that whenever you use your eyes, your whole nervous system turns on.
2: Yeah. It's really similar to EMDR, which uses eye movements. It's a psychology technique that a lot of therapists will use for emotional release but they'll use it and they use it for the eyes. And it's interesting because I know of several cranial paths that will kind of mix in some EMDR with like their cranial adjustments. There's a cranial therapy called vector point therapy, where I know of several chiros who will use vector point cranial therapy and EMDR or a version of EMDR and kind of combine that together. But yeah, I would use the eye movements to especially people who have like concussions or things like that. Eye movements are like so powerful. People who have had concussions will like look in a certain area and they'll just be like, oh my gosh, my eyes are jumping back and forth. They're fluttering. It's really hard. They're like squinting. That's when I utilize like a laser technique on them. Cranial manipulation, obviously intraoral manipulation. Sometimes if it's bad enough, then maybe that like nasal release and then we're just retraining all of that but when you're moving the eyes your upper cervical muscles are actually firing we can actually feel it people can like put their hand on their upper cervical and like move their eyeballs around and you're just moving your eyeballs but you can feel like the muscles at the base of your skull just twitching a little bit firing a little bit ah. when you move your eyes and it all has to do with because of this whole thing of when you, we as human beings want to fixate ourselves to be level with the horizon. That's what kind of like our eyes are for. We're always trying to adjust for the position of where we're at. So we're moving our eyes. Your muscles are also compensating for that. Your brain's trying to figure things out and trying to go like, oh, if you're looking here, that means you're in this type of position and muscles will fire to compensate for that. But these muscles up in the upper occipital or upper cervical, or in your suboccipital, these muscles have a lot of mechanoreceptors or proprioceptors that feed information back to the brain to tell you are where you're in in space. And the same thing with these muscles here is that there's a connection between, that we know of so far, between one of the muscles, I think it's called like rectus, posterior, I forgot. But it's one of the muscles up here in the upper cervical Will is connected, has a direct connection with the dura. And the dura, as for cranial people, like we're all obsessed with the dura. So the dura is this like layer that surrounds your brain, that surrounds your spinal cord to protect it. It's part of our fascia. Mm-hmm. Our fascia is really where like a lot of nerves can travel and we have a lot of neurological connection. And then the connection between like fascia, nerve, and emotions is all right there too. One of the books, like The Body Keeps Score, like there's all these things now.
1: Yes, we love that, that book.
2: Yeah, the body is like holding on to emotions physically, how it's like not in the head, right? Like I tell people, I'm like, if we can logically think our way out of emotional things, like we would have world peace, but like we seem to still not figure it out. Because it's all held in the body, people aren't releasing it. This whole new world of like fascial work and fascial manipulation and release is phenomenal. And people go under like these cathartic experiences when they do fascial work because they're releasing all these emotions and they don't even have to be consciously thinking about it or be aware of it. And that's all held in there. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I have heard emotional
2: work. I love
1: that. So, slowly, I'm going to start learning more and more how to do this. It's one of my big passions to help people release emotional trauma. It's so powerful. I have heard that fascia holds on a lot of emotion. So even people with, gosh, is it fibromyalgia? The people that have pain everywhere, what is it called? Yeah,
2: fibromyalgia. It is? Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: That it could be related to fascia pain and fascia restrictions yeah. and and it's emotional pain. That's why it hurts so much and it hurts all the time.
2: Yeah. I think that fibromyalgia is, is such like misdiagnosed label because fibro just means fiber. My just means muscle, muscle fiber. Algia means pain, right? Muscle fiber has pain. And it could be from, like you said, that fascial issue from all these like emotions that are stored in. But actually going back to the guy who told you about mitochondria, this is where like I get out about it because- We have mitochondria all over the body and Mm -hmm. mitochondria makes energy. There's something called the power stroke. When I learned about exercise physiology way back in the day, basically what happens is like if you contract the muscle, if you're like, oh, let me go like lift this thing that's really heavy. I'm going to contract this muscle and the muscle becomes really tight. Well, that needs molecules of energy called ATP, which is made by the mitochondria. Well, you also need ATP to relax the muscle. That's why when people are dead, they go through rigor mortis, which is basically like their body gets really stiff. And it's because they don't have any ATP. Their mitochondria is not working. They don't have any energy that's being made. And they cannot relax like the musculoskeletal mm-hmm. system on the muscles and the fascia and things like that. When people are like really tight, when they have pain all over, I go, you probably have a lack of ATP. There's a lack of energy in that area for whatever reason. Something is like sucking up the energy. Something is causing the mitochondria to not be functioning correctly, where it's creating almost like a rigor mortis thing. It's creating tightness, abnormal tension. This is kind of where I blend in like the chemistry side of things. So in my work, like I talk to people that, Everything that people are dealing with is typically related to three things, something physical, something chemical, and something emotional, most likely all three. If we look at it that way, in this holistic picture, we're like, wow, like if somebody has fibromyalgia, pain all over, and they have this mitochondria dysfunction, and they have like energy imbalances, and they don't have enough oxygen there, there could be something else going on here. And this is how we kind of improve the whole picture. And same thing with going back to airway dysfunction and things like that. There's a doctor, a neurosurgeon. He calls himself a mitochondriac, but he's been in the field for a long time and studying the mitochondria. His name is Dr. Jack Cruz, and he's definitely a contrarian. So be careful. You got to go in there and just be like ready to have your world shattered. But it's amazing because he's so smart. And he talks about how like sleep apnea and these airway issues is a compensatory pattern for the body. We know that as a lack of oxygen state. And what he's saying that is because there's an underlying mitochondria dysfunction that is then causing the body to try to conserve oxygen for other places. And therefore you're like, okay, look, I need to not have as much oxygen. So my presentation is like sleep apnea. It's so fascinating. It's really interesting. Like I'm butchering a lot of things that he's saying, I'm sure. But
1: man, when I listen to him,
2: it blows my mind.
1: I'm going to look him up. I wrote his name down. There is research on a specific form of journaling improving fibromyalgia symptoms. Look at that, Dr. Danny. Thank you.
2: Wow. So So that's really interesting. One of the things I tell patients, like sometimes I tell people, I'm like, when I do emotional work with them, I do something called neuroemotional technique which is really cool, too. It's got a lot of research on it. And anyways, one thing that I tell people is that if they have a lot of hint of unresolved emotions, I tell people, I'm like, just write it down, just journal, just write a letter. If it's to a particular person, usually it's like mom, dad, uh-huh. ex, whatever. And it's like, just write a letter to them. You don't even have to send it to them. If they passed away, it doesn't matter. All you need to do is just put your thoughts Put the things that are swimming in your body, put it in your nervous system, put it and neurologically do an expression, write it, writing it out. We know that there's so many neurological expressions and a lot of neurological connectivity, which is writing things because we're associating not only the movement of our hand and writing accurately writing, but also utilizing our brain to almost like transfer whatever we're feeling into those words, and then having to write it all out. I mean, it's like amazing. There's like a multi-layered oh thing there. You're like putting it out of your body, you're getting out of your system. And people feel good. It's like the same thing where people will go like, I just need to get it off my chest, where it's like, you literally push it out into the ether, and it's not in your body anymore.
1: Oh, my goodness. Yeah camera, one of our girls loves, Doreen Lisa's. always recommending it. Alison Holden said, apparently now they're finding improved work with PTSD with doing psych work while playing Tetris games because of the eye position.
2: Oh, that's so interesting.
1: Look at this. The more more we learn about this stuff, the more we're like, we don't know anything.
2: That's really what it is. I mean, seeking. We'll never know. I mean, till this day, we don't know. Nobody knows 100%. Really, it's discovery. So as long as we keep on discovering but that's, that's amazing. That's true.
1: Anne has another great question. As a Cairo, how is NUCA, is it N U C C A, Cairo different yeah. than S O T, Cairo? Oh, okay. Versus yes. An Atlas orthogonal chiropractic technique.
2: Got it. So NUCA and Atlas orthogonal technique is, I never studied those techniques. Because those are upper cervical techniques. This is the thing with chiropractic, is that there's just like a bajillion techniques. SOT sacro technique is one technique in, okay, uh, in chiropractic. About that. Yeah. Nuca is another technique. Alice okay. orthogonal is another technique, but Alice orthogonal and nuca are part of what's called upper cervical chiropractic, which is phenomenal. I go see an upper cervical chiropractor. I have a good friend who does it. A lot of people understand like the cone beam scans, the CBCTs yeah. when you go to a biological dentist. But my friend who does upper cervical, he will use a cone beam scan and scan, not every time, but just kind of like the initial. He'll scan and see like a get a 3D image of where your upper cervical spine is and where your skull is. And we can look at the picture and see like positionally, what's off, what's malpositioned, what's going on here correlating with some of the symptoms. Now what he does is he'll lay me on my side, or there's different ways of doing it. But he lays me on the side on a special table that's just for upper cervical adjustments. And he takes out a protractor, a protractor, by the way, so he's measuring very specific angles that are correlating wow. with the angles that come from the CBCT. And then he's taking his adjustment and his line of drive with whatever degree or things like that. Like I said, I had never learned about all that. So I'm butchering this whole thing. But it's just phenomenal the level of accuracy and precision that comes along with it. Yeah, these guys are amazing. They're smart folks. So they're very precise. And for a lot of people who don't handle like regular chiropractic adjustments. Upper cervical is actually a really gentle technique and really benefits like the nervous system. For a lot of people have weird neurological symptoms, I often send them to my buddy for him to check them out as well. And it helps a lot too. So
1: wow. Yeah. Last thing that I want to talk about is red light therapy. Mm. Tell me a little bit about red light therapy. What should we be looking for in terms of or whatever, however, they we can purchase them, how long should we be? The face one is fine, the handle one is fine. Do you need a big one that gets your whole body? And then what kind of symptoms does a person have to have for you to recommend red light therapy? I know that it's yeah. good for everything, but
2: oh yeah. And going back to that mitochondria, like that's why it's important because that red light, which often usually comes with near infrared light. Those Mm -hmm. two wavelengths will stimulate the mitochondria in a couple of its complexes. There's four complexes in the mitochondria. Usually red and infrared will stimulate most of them. And then some of the other ones, I would use a laser for it because it's different frequency. Anyways, red light stimulates mitochondria. You need your mitochondria to be working and producing energy in order for you to heal and do whatever you want and also helpful for neurological issues. So when you utilize the red light you are essentially mimicking what the sun is doing and for a lot of us we're mostly like indoors now we don't get a whole lot of that now we're looking at wow if we supplement for the sun and do red light therapy we can get the skin to be looking better because of collagen synthesis we can be getting if it penetrates deep enough it can affect the organs and hit the mitochondria there and then people will notice that their brain functions better, their nerve function is better, like we as functional neurologists have been using light plus neurology in a very long time. We know that there's a huge connection there, and now, because of what it is, now there's an anti-aging like longevity effect through the whole thing. What to look for is my number one thing actually has nothing to do with power or jewels or anything is. Make sure that that device has a metal casing. On my device that I have, or the several that I have, I recommend a very specific brand, but it doesn't have to be that brand. There's other brands too, but they have to have a metal casing. Why is that? Because if any type of electrical device emits a magnetic field or electromagnetic field, and then they can also give off dirty electricity, mm-hmm. this EMF, this radiation. Will attenuate, meaning that it interferes or affects the red light therapy. So let's say I have that panel on my skin, but I'm also not only getting the wavelengths, I'm also getting the EMF from it. And now my cells are super confused and it can't actually utilize that light properly. If it's like a plastic casing, what happens is that electricity is not grounded, it Mm. needs to have a metal casing. In my red light device, sometimes like, I walk up to it and I try to turn it on. And I touch it. Like, it shocks me. My static is like grounded there because all my static electricity is grounded when I touch the device because the device is grounded because it's a metal okay. casing. Now, all that dirty electricity is being grounded. So it lowers significantly the amount of EMFs that that thing is emitting. And now you get proper light therapy. So that's number one thing, I think, is getting a metal casing. One with a grounded device. Number two is irradiance. Irradiance is more important than like power because power just means like how much you're cranking it up and how much energy is going to the bulbs. And that power may not translate to what's actually going into the body because you have heat that is an inefficiency because we utilize alternating currents. What's most important is irradiance. Irradiance means how much photons, how much light energy is going into the cells and actually penetrating. The higher irradiance means that the deeper it can go. And if you get a low irradiance, that is really good for the skin. If you get a high irradiance, that's really good for internal organs. And I recommend getting the higher irradiance because you can always just back away from it a little bit. But either way, I'm trying to affect the whole body. That's really important. And there's different ones. Typically, there's different measurements that gets complicated, but just look for the highest irradiance, like compare a few and then look for like, who's actually measuring it. If they're not measuring it, don't get it. They're not into it. The other one is going to be wavelengths, okay, wavelengths of light. That is also really, really important. Because if we don't get good wavelengths, then they're not going to affect the cells adequately. What I mean by that is there are wavelengths that have actually been like studied to be beneficial for a certain thing that actually stimulates the cells. You want those certain wavelengths. I don't remember off the top of my head. I'm sorry. I'm sure I've posted it somewhere on my social yes. media. And I think maybe even my blog, I've posted it about wavelengths before because I'm super into light therapy. But wavelengths, is it's like 660 and like 680 and like 880. Anyways. Okay. The very specific wavelengths are really important. If the device offers only one or two, I would be like, oh, that's okay. But if the device offers like four or five different wavelengths, I get excited about that. And then power is just like, yeah, it's, you know, it's cool.
1: Okay. I've seen also people literally putting their open eyes right in the light. Is that safe?
2: Yeah. If you have a proper device. I wouldn't put like a cheap device that's not grounded and stuff up against my eyeball like that, because I don't know if they dialed in their frequencies, right? But if it's a quality device, and you trust it, and you know, it works well and things like that, then I do it. I mean, I walk right up to the device and you know with my eyes open and stuff. Some people like my dad, I tell my dad to do it. And he's literally like, so blinded from it, or it's just so sensitive to it, right? Uh-huh. My eyes are like right up to it. I just tell him, just close your eyelids. And he closes his eyelids and it's fully fine.
1: Mm-hmm. So you okay, can do that. Okay, so the whole body one, is a better?
2: The whole body ones are obviously more expensive for people. Like yeah. it could range from like a thousand, a couple thousand dollars. So if you want to invest in that, great. I think it's great because it saves you a little bit of time, right? You can just blast one part of the body, flip around, blast the other for like five, seven minutes. And okay. that's pretty good. But- that's obviously going to be the best. But if people can get like smaller versions, something that's somewhat more portable-ish, and that totally works as well too.
1: Awesome. Is it safe for children?
2: Yeah, it's safe for children. It's really good for like head injuries and head stuff. And even when we're talking about head, again, the radiance is so important because you need to penetrate the skull. But for kids, since their skull is a lot thinner, that radiation or that wavelength, those energies can pass through the skull a lot easier. But for adults, it's less likely that it can pass through as well. Mm-hmm. That's where I recommend a better device.
1: Okay. So it is possible nowadays with as much technology as we have out there to purchase one from the house for the house where we get enough benefit compared to a professional grade one.
2: Yeah, for sure. And even like for a lot of brands, they're moving into the space where they realize people want it for their homes. The professional grade stuff is just becoming more like, oh, people just invest in oh, it beautiful. for their house.
1: True. Sure. So do you want to share the brand that you recommend?
2: I recommend the brand. I still don't know how to say it. I think it's Elios Lamp. E-L-I-O-S Lamp. They're from Italy. I've spoken to them a while back because I was trying to search for like the best device. This is how savvy these guys are. When I got all my devices in the instruction manual, it said, don't do red light therapy at night when the sun goes down because this can affect your melatonin Mm -hmm. production and affect your sleep. I know these guys are 100% legit because normally if you're selling a product, you want them to use it all the time. You don't really care when they use it. But these guys are like, no, they're very specific. They've been doing it for a while. They are biohackers. They love like photo biomodulation. When I talked with these guys in Italy, they were like phenomenal and they're just delivering a really good product. So I really like them and I support them. So far, like they're the best brand that I've found that's really doing really good work. I like their devices.
1: Do you have a discount code?
2: I think I do. Mm -hmm. It's probably Dr. Calvin or on their website. You just put in that slash Dr.
1: Calvin, something like that. Awesome. Elena said, we have one at work and I sat next to it when I had an ear infection pain and it literally went away when I was sitting next to it. It was crazy. (laughs) That is awesome. Yes, I'm telling you, I've been wanting to get one for my family. So I need to look into it. I know that we could stay here and keep talking for hours. You're so knowledgeable and entertaining at the same time. You know how to explain it in a way that is so easy for us all to understand. So I really appreciate you spending some time with us on Thursday Night Live with Area Circle. I know everybody enjoyed it. Before we go, we usually tell everybody what's going on. Oh, yes. Tell us your Instagram, your website, how to get in touch with you.
2: Yeah. Dr. Calvin Ing. Ing is spelled N-G.com. You can find me on Insta. I have a free blog that people can learn about stuff and I expand on topics. I got to do a way better job expanding on this whole airway thing, but it's always complex. It's still complex in my head. Like, you know, there's a lot of thoughts that I got to sort through in my own head. About it, But I love like talking about it because and I love talking to people who kind of get it and are excited about it, especially (laughs) the airway folks, because it's just so like, you guys are like, yes, this is like amazing. This is what it's really about. I appreciate and I want to acknowledge you for like doing all the good work. I remember when I was in school and learning about this and even learning from a lot of the old doctors who are like been doing this for a long time in this space, who understand airway, they're like, I just wish people knew and I'm like, I know, like what's going on here. And then now you're like creating this airway circle and I'm sure it's a lot of work and a lot of time and everybody's involved in doing all this stuff. Yeah. It's great. You guys are doing great. Love it.
1: Thank you. Yes. With that, I do want to thank our members because we could not do anything that we do without the support of our members. Yes. We do offer our lives free for everybody because our biggest mission is to raise awareness to get Professionals talking to each other so we can learn from each other. We do have our directory that's a free resource for not only professionals to find other professionals to work with, but for patients to find you guys. So if you are in our directory, if you do take advantage of our Facebook group that's extremely interactive, we have 2,600 members there right now. Please consider joining our membership so you can support our efforts to keep bringing airway to everyone. Thank you, everybody. And I am super excited. MyoCircle, our advanced functional therapy program, just started January 1st. We have our first meeting this weekend. It's our fourth time teaching this course. And I am so excited for you guys to get to meet in two months the newest MyoCircle graduates. They are the best myofunctional therapists out there. I have to say it. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much, Dr. Calvin. I really appreciate you. Everybody have a wonderful night. We'll see you again next Thursday. Bye-bye. Bye.
2: Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to our radio-style broadcast, where we bring different perspectives to the airway world in an easily digestible format. Different hosts, different views, same airway talk. Don't forget to leave us a review. Bye-bye.